It's time to get up and get going, South Coast. It's time for the Tim Weisberg Show on WBSM. Also streaming live on WBSM.com and on the WBSM app. Talk to Tim now at 508-996-0500 or send him a message or a voicemail through the WBSM app. And now, ready to start your day off with a bang. It's Tim Weisberg. Welcome back in hour number three of the program, and it is time to be turning on the light with Jack's playing. You know, Jack, every time I play that intro and they say that starting off with a bang and they have the gunshot, I'm like, uh, I don't know if that's such a good idea. Uh, maybe start a little bit later. <laughs> like people are going to hear that and like, is that a gunshot? Uh-huh. We have to change. We have to change the game from gunshot or fireworks to gunshot fireworks or the opening to the Tim Weisberg show. Yeah. So, um, all right. Well, that aside. Uh, it is time uh, on Monday, as we do each and every Monday at this time, where we have in Jack Spillane of New Bedford Light. And it is time to hold on. Let me cue up the Rolling Stones here. It is time to turn on the light with Jack Spillane of New Bedford Light. And good morning, Jack. How are you? Good morning, Tim. Good to be here as always. And and great to have you here and great to have you joining us to talk about uh, a number of issues that are going on in the city. And one thing that I think is going to be a topic of conversation that we'll be having quite often here on Mondays for the next couple of months is taking a look at the New Bedford municipal election for this year. Uh, I know that you were in with Jim on Town Square Sunday. People can hear the podcast of that if they missed it. Uh, but we... I... Th- I heard that I was listening to your appearance and, and you brought up a lot of great points about, you know, uh, Jim is trying to say you need a strong mayoral race to get people out for this election. But you seem to think that the, the city council race will have people's attention this year. Yeah, I think the argument that people who support the two, two year mayoral term was that you need a um, strong mayoral race. But really, we haven't had a strong mayoral race in 12 years, and now we're not going to have one this year. So people who make that argument, even in the four-year terms when we've had the mayoral race, nobody has run against this guy. You know, it's, it's interesting because if you watch the city council meetings, you would think that John Mitchell is the most unpopular person in the city of New Bedford. And yet, he is running for his sixth term. He is running with largely unknown opposition, with the exception of Michael Jansen, who I like Michael, but he's not really a candidate who has polled well ever. And um, so the mayor is popular. You know, a lot of people like what he's doing. You know, they may not be people who are on the city council, but a lot of people like what he's doing. So I wrote this column because I felt that there was a, a disappointment um, in the city, including in myself, that we're not going to have the kind of discussion that a mayoral race would, would give you. I like all races to be competed against. Uh, by the way, in my column, I mentioned that the school committee, three incumbents, no opposition. Now, the graduation rate has gone up in New Bedford, although it's started to tick back down, I believe, a little. But the MCAS scores have never really gone up overall in any kind of comprehensive way. And we have yet we have people willing to put these three school committee members, who are all nice people, you know, back in office. So my column was, was mainly about that, you know, if you want change in New Bedford, the race this year is really going to be at the at-large race. To a certain extent, the Ward 5 race, but you have some familiar names in that race, in the Ward 1 race. Um, but really, at large, we have four candidates 
who have very good name recognition, and that may make what is um, in the Bedford's form of government. You only have to finish second, third, fourth, or fifth. It, it, it's, it's a beautiful thing. You, you don't have to win to get a full seat on the city council. I, I've recommended that we change that to a system where the at-large people run against each other, like District 1 at-large, District 2 at-large, et cetera, so that they have a, two people in the final, and you really know who the public wants. Because I think this system, you know, which is designed to get minority voices on the council, I get that, people who might not be competitive in a one-on-one race, but I think it's, it's really gotten out of control a little bit. But before we dive more into that, I just want to go back to something you said about the school committee, too. It, it's, it's, this is going to be an important term for the school committee because they're going to select another superintendent as part of this. You know, that's right. That's whoever's right. elected will be part of that search process. That's they're not, right. They're not going to have it done by January. No. It, it does appear that there is a lot of support for interim superintendent Andrew O'Leary. He's been a, a long-term and not like one of these guys who comes in for a few years or gals and then is on their way to someplace else. Um, he's a smart guy, has done all kinds of things in bringing in money uh, to the city for building projects. Um, he's uh, a guy who's commit, commit, committed to uh, civil rights and, and uh, education of um, disenfranchised people. He, I know he has some support on the committee at all. The mayor points out we should do a search. You know, I think that's good. But I just point out that, that searches, you know, these superintendents, they tend to make the rounds of different districts and they stay about four or five years in each district. You know, we're getting rid of Thomas Anderson now, who was sold to us as much better than Pia Durkin, who was sold to us as much better than Mary Louise Francis. And, you know, we've had a succession of them and... <laughs> I don't know. This, the system, part of that is because it is an urban system with a lot of low-income people, a lot of English language learners. But, uh, uh, you know, the system is the system. So, and now going back to the council, uh, this is, you know, your, your point that you've made before is, you know, there's very much a advantage for the incumbents because of the way that the ballot is laid out. And then very much an advantage for the challengers that are in alphabetical order. Because if you don't, if, if you don't just go one, two, three, four, five at the top of the ticket, then you're going to say, all right, well, I don't like this person. So one, two, four, five, whatever it might be. And then the first person that's at the ballot. Uh, yeah, I, I do it myself. The, the, you, know, you may say, oh, no, not that person or not that person. But then you, you, it, there's an advantage to the person who comes up next. I think a better system would be to put everybody in a hat, have a, some sort of computer generated thing, take out the name. So there's no alphabetical order. There's no incumbent advantage. And you just do that. No, there are also other um, advantages. You can list that you're a veteran. You can list all, all different things. I think veterans are important, but I don't think it's the only qualification in you know being a, a successful candidate. And so I would argue that it it, yeah. it shouldn't really be a factor. Yeah, I, I think you could argue that, and you can put other things too. You can put incumbent. You can put um, uh, I don't know things that you've achieved. Uh, uh, so I, I, I think. Those things have to, another, I think it could be changed, but it has to be a charter change to do that. And as we found out this year, it's a, an involved, complex, laborsome uh, process to get the charter changed, which, by the way, it does not look like there is enough support on the city council, big surprise, to do that. So, um, but, but for better or worse, we have these four candidates, um, uh, two former council, well, one incumbent councilor who's switching from Ward 5 to at large, Scott Lima, 
Bruce Duart Jr., who already has signs across the city, a former Ward 4 councilor who now lives in Ward 1. He is running at large, uh, high name recognition. Uh, worked at the sheriff's office for a long time. But I, you're right. I've seen scenes, all, seen signs all over the city. I'm Bruce. sorry. He did not work at the sheriff's office. I think he worked at Bristol, uh, the, the Bristol, not the, the Bridgewater uh, Correctional Facility. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Bruce, on that, but, but I, I just want to be clear. Um, and then you also have um, uh, a common Amaral who finished second in the six-person Ward 3 race. Um, and her name will come sixth on the ballot because she has the advantage, as Ian Abu does, of having a name that starts with A. And then you have um, uh, Devin Burns, uh, the well-known uh, owner of uh, Destination Soups, a popular eatery in the downtown. And a popular guy, too. Popular yeah. guy. Um, I think that there's... And first of all, let me qualify when I said... You know, I don't want people to be like, oh, Tim doesn't support veterans. I don't think that it's a qual- I don't think that it should stand out as a qualification on a ballot. Oh, that Jack doesn't support veterans. I do. Right. You know, we, we, you know the, we all should be humble about the veterans as we do our public safety personnel, police, fire, uh, EMTs and the, the work they do. Um, they're invaluable, but they are citizens. We are not a, a, a feudal society where there is royalty and non-royalty. Well, I would and, not. And, 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 and you know, that's the way it is. I would also say if you're, you know, if you're a doctor, you shouldn't be able to put doctor whatever on the ballot either. Or a teacher or, or, or whatever you do. Talk no, show host. You see that sometimes <laughs> where people will be a doctor. They'll have a doctorate. They'll have a PhD. And they'll be listed on the ballot as doctor, doctor something. So-and-so. And yeah, I, don't, I don't think I, that that's I, necessary. I think we are a democratic society. You know, the vote of a ditch digger is as good as the vote of a doctor. You know, the vote of a person who has worked as a... Um, a teacher's aide is as good as the work of a veteran. Like, you know, a veteran may be more vital, and we need that in times of, of, of war and, and other times, but in terms of running the country or setting policy, yeah, it may or may not be relevant. And so when you look at this race, when you look at, and I'm talking about the, the at-large race, when you look at that, you, you have said that you think that there are some incumbents that might be vulnerable this time around. Yeah, I, I, it's hard to say who. Like, you know, I mean... It's just more of a general feeling. I I think normally you go with the people who finished fourth and fifth, Mm -hmm. which last time was Naomi Carney and Shane Burgo. Shane Burgo won the fifth seat in the council and getting onto the council for the first time when you have the incumbents, when they are listed first, is is a hurdle. Shane did that, but evermore, you know, you you have the advantage. Now we see Ward 3 councillors. Well, didn't he do that because there was an open seat, though? It was an open seat, and he still was very competitive to to, to finish fifth, um, to, to, to edge out the other candidates, and there were some strong candidates in that race, including Paul Chase and um, guy from the far north end, whose name I'm I'm forgetting. Um, this jockey. Anyway, I I, I, um, uh, I, I apologize, and uh, I'm blanking he, too. He can he can call me, but but um, so there were some strong candidates in that race. Um, I, I think um, there's a lot of talk, including in my column about uh, Councillor Gomes and Councillor Morad. You know, I want to be clear. I think that they've been good councillors. I think they contribute a lot. I think there is um, a contribution that you can give by by long-term incumbency. My big gripe is that they are so divisive when it comes to the mayor. You know, I I just think that they don't give him the benefit of the doubt. They are looking for ways to disagree, and they are looking for ways to criticize in a personal way. That You know, he's a poor manager. uh, He doesn't care about this. He doesn't care about that. I think... We, are, we need to get over in this country and in this city this us-against-them mentality. And it, it's not team council versus team mayor. It's team New Bedford for everybody. And I want that to be 
All right. I disagree with the mayor on this, but I know, you know, he's trying to do a good thing. I know what his thoughts are. Not that I think he's um, a scoundrel and he's once again trying to put one over on us. I, I, I just think that that kind of divisive rhetoric, and we, we all succumb to it, myself included. Uh, uh, the mayor uh, can, can tar the council that way, too. But I, I just want leaders who will think of Team City of New Bedford, not you know, team city council. And I think that there is a culture uh, trying to, to do that. You hear a lot from Council President Morad, you know, this is another example of this administration and then whatever it yes, might be. Yes, yes. Um, let me ask and you. And Councilor Gomes, too. Let's, let's be fair. Right. You know, he'll, he'll, he'll say, well, no one's, no one's going to tell you about this. No one's going to, I'm the only one who's going to tell you about that. that. That's divisive. Would you ever, and I'm not asking you to advocate for this, but would you ever in your own trip into the ball, into the, into the uh, voting booth, would you ever say, well, I know the mayor is going to get another four years because I don't think any of these candidates have a chance against him. Would you then pick your council candidates based on who you think would work best with the mayor? You know, I, I, I generally vote for the person who I think is going to be the best counselor. Um, I don't even always vote. Sometimes I don't vote at all in the council race or the mayor's race, particularly if I've had a lot to say in those two years. I, I just figured I've had my influence. I don't, I don't need to, to be voting. And I, I, I think that because I think all of them have good points and bad points, I, you might be surprised to know that I, I always vote, but I, I leave a lot of races blank. And I, I think, too, that... Th- some folks will look at the races, the, the at-large race, and think that it needs to, it just needs to be change for change's sake. You know that sometimes folks look at the way things are going, and they might they might not know all the ins and outs of what's going on, but they might say, "Yeah, this person has been here for a long time. Maybe it is time for it." Or I see this person sign all over the place, and maybe they do deserve a chance because people think that they des- you know, they, they should be in there. So I think you do get some of that influence that comes into people's minds that. At a local level, that happens a lot more than it does in in larger races. You know where yeah. they say, maybe it's maybe it's maybe we just do change for change's it, sake. It, it is hard to say that thirty plus years, twenty years, twelve years in the mayor's case isn't enough time to have made your mark. You know, now you can make an argument to me that there's nobody better than me, and I'll listen to it. But I, I think for most of us in a city of a hundred thousand people, there's somebody else that can do the job if given the chance. But um, given the nature of politics, given the nature of the ballot, you know, it's very hard uh, to do that. You know, um, we, we see, I believe, more turnover in the ward races because you have that one-on-one contest in the end than you do in the at-large races. Generally, um, I remember John Saunders being defeated and Steve Sharrick being defeated. I think Naomi, Naomi was defeated once um, when somebody who but had previously been on got back on. But I I think that generally the at-large councilors leave. That's what happens is that they leave. You know, people can, other than those examples I've given, people can uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Do you, do you think that, again, you've been following this a lot longer than I have, so I'll ask you about what you've seen for the pattern, but do you have a lot of people that come out that get involved, run a race, don't win, and then come back again? And try again, or do you see a lot of people who are kind of one and done? They give it a try. They realize they didn't win. You know, they don't win. They realize that it might be harder than they thought. They don't come back, and they're d- discouraged from being involved in the process. You see both. You see both. Uh, Brian Gomes is the great example. He says he ran six times. It was before I got here. Before he was finally elected. Um, Paul Chase, who I thought was a very good candidate, ran three times. I think uh, one of them may have been for Ward Five, 
uh, or two of them may have been for Ward 5, but he's run three times and, and not quite made it. He finished just behind um, Shane Burgo last time. Um, you know, Carmen Amaral is running again. You, you see that sometimes. I think Ian ran a couple times before Ian ran a couple on. times before he, he got on. Um, I think Joe Lopes may have run a, a time before he got on. Um, so you, you do see people who really want that political career, and that's good, you know. Um, I, you know, I think that... You know, when you talk about term limits, when you talk about the advantages the incumbents have, it's all relative. There, you know, there, there is wisdom from the long-term incumbents, but I, I just think that we need to see more. We're in this together. What can we and the mayor do together rather than, you know, I'm telling you what's all good and the mayor is telling you what's all bad. I, I, just, I just don't like that. I'll, I'll ask this question and then we'll have to take a break. But you're talking about needing to have some of that that change in those louder voices, those veteran voices. Uh, I mean, the veterans of the council. The change needing to come from maybe having new people in there. But do you, you've also been advocating that maybe the rest of the council should be those voices too, to stand up and say, "Hold on a minute, we're not just going to follow suit with what what the two veterans want to do." Yeah, I think uh, a couple of times we've seen the rest of the council go go uh, along with things. Uh, suggested by these long-term councils only to have to reverse themselves when there was either a public outcry pushed back from the mayor's office or, or the media or whatever. Um, the two examples I gave in my column were um, the job reclassifications where five or six employees got very large increases. The councils, many of them without saying anything, went along and voted for that. A month later, they had to come in and uh, cut it in half. Uh, some of the people supporting it wanted them to cut it even further. Uh, the other example was the three ballot referendums they passed in one night with none of them having gone to a committee to study it. it was They were proposed and put on the ballot. A significant change like that in one night. They had to come back and reverse themselves after they talked to the real estate community, after they talked to the many people in the city who support the Community Preservation Act, after they talked to the people who had just put in the four-year mayoral term two years earlier. All right, well, why don't we take a break? If you want to call in and speak with Jack, 508-996-0500. We'll be back in a few moments. And now it's time to go into the newsroom with Adam Bass. A Hawaii congresswoman who represents Maui is calling the apparent, the apparent silent, siren failure during the wildfires tragic. Everybody who has ever lived in Hawaii knows the warning sirens because that is our first line of defense. Speaking on CBS's Face the Nation, Jill Takuda says they're tested at each beginning of the month, and if they don't blare, they get fixed. She added that the electricity outages and lack of cell phone services in some areas also contributed to so many people not getting warning signals about the fires. Actors Dwayne The Rock Johnson and Jason Momoa are expressing their heartbreak about the fires that have killed over 90 people and left thousands without homes. Johnson said in a video posted on his Instagram that he was completely heartbroken, along with info about donating to the nonprofit organization Hawaii Community Foundation. Momoa, who was born in Honolulu, also shared a statement on Instagram that warned tourists from traveling to the island. Two men from Nigeria have been extradited to Grand Rapids to be charged in alleged sextortion ring that had over 100 victims. U.S. Attorney Mark Toden said 22-year-old Samuel Ogoshi and 20-year-old Samson Ogoshi were arrested in Nigeria in January and arrived at the Gerald R. Ford International Airport on Sunday. 
Authorities are still working on the extradition to of those the- engaging in this crime. Understand that we will travel the world to find you and hold you accountable. No one is immune to justice. The attorney for Hunter Biden says a five-year investigation has shown no evidence that President Biden was involved in any of his son's business dealings. Appearing on CBS's Face Nation, Abe Lowell emphasized that the investigation was ordered by and conducted by officials. It had to be part of what the prosecutor has already looked at, as well as every other false allegation, whether it's corruption or Farah or money laundering. Appearing on CBS's Face Nation, Abe Lowell emphasized the investigation was ordered by and conducted by officials appointed by former President Trump. Lowell said the investigation only turned up evidence related to tax filings and gun possession. And the markets are opening this morning after ending last week mixed. That came after July's consumer price index was softer than expected. The report tracks the price that wholesalers are paying for raw goods. At Friday's closing bell, the Dow Jones Industrial Average gained 105 points to 35,281. The S&P 500 lost 4 points to 44,64. And the Nasdaq fell by 76 points to 13,644. In sports, the Red Sox won 6-3 against the Detroit Tigers last night, ending their four-game series with three wins and one loss. The Sox have a break today, and then they'll go off to Washington, D.C. to begin a new series against the Nationals, first pitch on Tuesday at 7.05 p.m. And now here's your ABC6 local weather forecast. Well, the humidity levels will be on the rise today. It's going to be breezy with a lot of clouds in the area, high near 82. As we head into the overnight, partly to mostly cloudy, we've got some scattered rain moving in. It will be heavy at times. Could see some late night thunderstorms, low of 66. And for tomorrow, we're going to kick the day off with heavy rain and thunderstorms moving through the area. Humid, windy, spot thunderstorms throughout the afternoon, high near 77. From the ABC6 Weather Center, I'm meteorologist Skylar Spindler on New Bedford's News Talk Station, 1420 WB. It is currently 70 degrees right now in New Bedford. I'm Adam Bass, WBSM News. Stay up to date with New Bedford's news talk station, WBSM, and get breaking news alerts and podcasts with the WBSM app. It's okay if you listen in the shower. Just keep it to yourself and don't make it weird. Back to the Tim Weisberg Show on WBSM. And if you woke up on the wrong side of the bed this morning, well, it's probably because you're not sleeping on a Whirly bed. At Whirly Bed's factory outlet, they have mattresses that are made for you. How do I know that? Because they make them right here in New Bedford. So if you need to get a new mattress, don't go to one of those stores where they're going to make you try to fit into their mattress. Go to the place where they're going to make the mattress fit you. That's Whirly Bed's factory outlet on Pope's Island in New Bedford. Go on by and see Patrick and Martha and the crew over there. Tell them what you are looking for, and they have a mattress that will fit your sleep needs. You need to stay cool while you're sleeping? They have temperature-controlled mattresses that will do that. Maybe you get cold when you're sleeping. They can make sure that you stay warm as well. They can make sure that you have a firm mattress if that's what you need. You can have a soft one if that's what you need. Whatever it may be, they can make it work for you. But you have to go over there and talk to them. You can go and check out when they're making them in the back. You can see for yourself how they hand sew 
Worley Beds mattresses to give you the best night's sleep. So head on over to Worley Beds Factory Outlet on Pope's Island in New Bedford and tell them you need to get a better night's sleep and you can start getting that right away with your new Worley Beds mattress. All right, let's go back into the conversation with Jack Spillane as we're turning on the light. Jack, we have a caller here. Let's take that. Good morning. You are on with Jack Spillane. Hello. Morning, Tim and Jack. How are you? Good. How are you doing? Hey there. At the beginning of uh, your segment, Jack, you mentioned uh, New Bedford school uh, scores, uh, student scores, and, and reference to MCAS. Seems to be a big push um, to get rid of MCAS due to you know equity issues or whatever. Um, what do you guys think is going to be the measure? Um, you know, how do you measure student um, progress, uh, or you know, you know, year to year, or decade to decade, if you don't have a benchmark or what would the benchmark have to be at that point yeah so i'm one of these people who um despite uh, the fact that i'm progressive on most issues i i support the mcas test um actually, actually there's any number of issues where i'm off the reservation but but um <laughs> i think you that use that term you know if you're progressive oh, okay <laughs> fair point I'm fair kidding. point um uh, i'm off the uh party line uh, there you go. uh so i think that um like anything else in life, competency is important, and we need to measure when we're competing against other countries, you know, how our students are doing. And um, Massachusetts, uh, since the MCAS has been in place, has consistently scored among the highest states in the country on um, both math and, and verbal achievement. Um, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with having it as a graduation um, requirement. I think that um, the, the teachers will criticize it as teaching to the test and yeah i think that's how it's always been is that that we always had tests and you teach to the test i think that we do need to have programs for kids who uh are having trouble with dyslexia or um english as a second language and help them to to, to get along uh uh but I, I i i do think that standards are important no i i got you i i agree with you i think that uh you know, having um, measures for success and being able to adjust the teaching methods—if it's not working—you um, know, you got to you got to have some measurement somewhere. You know, that's that's the whole idea of uh, of a uh, process improvement, right? Yeah, there, there, there yeah. are some cultural biases um, that that tend to skew some testing toward the um, white upper middle class, and I think that's something that's worth taking a look at. But uh, I'm undecided on that. But I think that those things are uh, uh, any test can be tweaked, but I think the tests are, are good. Gotcha. All right. Thanks, guys. All right. Thank you. And uh, if you want to call in, 508-996-0500. Uh, I mean, you're right. You you have to have some kind of testing, but the MCAS do have their flaws. And it, it it's probably time for an overhaul for something that's been in place now for 25 years, thereabouts. So I, I, I was the first class, I believe, to take the MCAS. Um, but it was a practice thing. It was like to, just to get a rough idea of how it would go. So I don't even recall like what we did for it. I just remember we went down the cafeteria and sat there and took it. And then it became a requirement for the next kids that were coming in after me. So, so when, when, when I was a kid, they had what was called the Iowa tests. Um, and those were tests that public school students generally took. I went to Catholic school and we were being tested all the time. Uh, I the, the, the Catholic approach was rigorous. I think it benefited me i think that you know uh the reason i i have any skills at all is because particularly the good nuns the the, the brothers in high school weren't quite as effective but then i was at adolescence at that time but 
But um, so I I I I, I like the standards. Um, I'll, I'll just ask you. Tell me what area do you think the MCAS fails? Well, I just think that you need to update it. You need to change it. You need sure. to look at where there might be people falling through the cracks and see how you can adjust it. Sure. I, I wouldn't I wouldn't know off the top of my head what the actual flaws are. I just know that's a, a flaw to just put it out, roll it out there and expect it to work for everybody. Oh, no. They definitely have to be adjusted. They, and they should be on it for, for cultural biases uh, and stuff. But I, I, I do think standards are, are good. You know, mm -hmm. any job that you apply for in life, there are going to be standards for which your employer will fire you if you don't meet those standards. Uh, uh, that's the reality of the world. Uh, my, my, I, high, my high school career was built around standardized tests. Yeah. You know? and, and I don't think it's, it's really terrible for children to be exposed to standards during their formative years and not have to, you know, I mean, even in things like, um, you know, kids' youth leagues now, everybody gets a trophy and that mindset, you know, I, I, I get it. I, I don't want to return to the times when, you know, you had the successful kids and the kids that weren't successful felt bad about themselves. But I do think testing of, of some sort is, is necessary. I mean, just, just to give an example... Wouldn't, wouldn't, wouldn't you guess that most, if you asked who are the most academically successful kids that came out of high school, you would say, well, the kids that took the AP classes, right? Yes. And AP is literally designed to teach to a test. Yes. It's a course that prepares you to take a standardized test at the end of the year. Yes. Now, you can take testing too seriously. I knew kids, we've all known kids that tested very well, that got good grades, but when they got out of school, they weren't the most successful people mm -hmm. in life because they couldn't put those testing uh, skills to life in reality. I, 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 uh, within my circle of friends, I knew of a, a kid that memorized physics formulas. He didn't really understand the physics formula. He mem memorized them. I mean, that's the extent that, that kids who are obsessed about tests can... I don't think that's good either because invariably the people who are most successful in life are not the people who are the valedictorians. Sometimes they are, but, but usually the kids who are the highest scorers are not the kids who are the most pragmatic about about life. So I think there is a balance, but I think there is a role for tests. As I always say, there was, there was an advantage of being, you know, number five in the class because you flew under the radar, but you still got things done that you had to get done. Yeah. I wasn't anywhere near number one or number five, so I, I'd have to worry about that. I, I beat out uh, my friend Erica at the very end to be, to be number five. I, I, I will say I was in the top third, so I won't beat it myself. I much. was in a small, small <laughs> class too. We only had like 130 kids, I think, in my graduating class. So uh, it wasn't, you know, <laughs> it's, easy, it's easier to be in the top five when there's only 10 people. Uh, so one of the things that I want to discuss, why don't I take a quick break here. When we come back on the other side, we can discuss this report that came out, the Jensen Hughes report about the New Bedford Police Department, and we can look at some of the recommendations that were made in that. If you have any questions, 508-996-0500. We'll be right back. And the humidity is on the rise today. It's probably going to rain and maybe some thunderstorms later. And you know what all that wetness is going to do? It's going to affect your roof. And if you think that your roof is already in tough shape, well, tough shape, well, don't wait around to get it fixed. Call Precision Window and Kitchen right now. I know, I know, Precision Window and Kitchen, but trust me, they are well known for their roofs as well. They can replace your aging roof, your fading roof. They can make sure that your investment, your biggest investment, that being your home, is well protected. And they can make sure that all that money you're spending on air conditioning and heat in the wintertime and all that is staying in your home and not leaking out a leaky roof. So give them a call. Have them come on by. They'll give you a free estimate and let you know exactly what to expect from the job, exactly how much it will cost, and they will deliver. They can also replace windows. They can replace entryway doors. They can replace your entire kitchen 
kitchen, your entire bathroom, whatever you need, they can take care of it because they do it right here in New Bedford. They have their showroom at 1111 Cushion Avenue. Stop on by, check out some of the materials they work with. But right behind that showroom, they are hard at work constructing cabinets, building counters, working on the doors, constructing those double-paned windows that they can put into your home. It's all being done right here in New Bedford. So stop on by and visit them at 1111 Acushnet Avenue or visit them online at precisionwindowandkitchen.com and fill out all the information there. They'll come out and they'll give you a free estimate on whatever job you need done. Precision Window and Kitchen Incorporated. All right, let's get back into it with Jack Spillane. Jack, that report came out this week from the Jensen Hughes, from Jensen Hughes about the New Bedford Police Department uh, this is something that, you know, it's not a surprise that some of the things they're doing are right, but there were some su- some suggestions in there that I thought were rather interesting. Yeah, uh, I have not read the Jensen News report yet. I plan to read it this morning, so um, I'm speaking a little informatively just uh, off of Anastasia Lennon's uh, fine story and, and some of the other reporting that's been done on it. Um, they did mention that there um, is uh, a perception of sexual harassment. I don't, I don't know what that means. Does it mean that there isn't or there is a perception of, of sexual harassment? You know, it seems to me it's like being a little bit pregnant. Either there's sexual harassment or there's not. In, in the, um, uh, and we, we've done it at the New Bedford Light, uh, a story with some uh, women in the department who feel that there definitely is. So uh, I don't know what that means, a perception. And the other thing was, uh, there were two other things. One was that there is a, a feeling that the administration does not listen to the rank and file. That sounds to me like a union thing. Um, I think there are times when you want to be in touch with the rank and file, but I do think it's a paramilitary organization that needs a chain of command. And, you know, when the um, uh, officers say jump, the, the, the uh, rank and file officers need to jump because it's a, it's a military organization. That's the way they function. Um, I will say that I was shocked, and I, again, I haven't read the report yet, that there's nothing mentioned, and I trust Anastasia's reporting, about the We Are the Prey report that asserted that there is um, uh, stereotyping that goes on, um, uh, profiling um, by some New Bedford officers, not all, and we certainly saw that objection during the Black Lives Matter movement, which is just three years ago in New Bedford, where many young people took to the streets and protested the New Bedford Department, specifically the Malcolm Gracia case and its conduct there. I know the mayor will say that that case has been investigated several times. Um, I don't think that, I, I think there are matters in it that I'd like to hear more investigation. I'd like to see a, a federal investigation. I know that there are some forces in the city that were working for that. So, from you know, again, I haven't read it yet, but it just seems that there ought to have been some, you know, remarking on these issues that we've had with the minority community and some offices, not all, profiling people. And it was a big impetus for this report to happen. Even though it wasn't characterized as such in the mayor's comments and in Frank Mulligan's report, uh, it was certainly a big reason why they, they had this report done. Yeah, I, I, you know, the mayor sometimes is very good at rewriting history and uh, uh, framing things in a way that is favorable to him. He, um, his department and the, his administration downplayed the We Are the Prey report uh, they had uh, Councillor Gomes chair a committee um, that looked into um, the uh, uh, perception of, of, of profiling. There were many people on that committee who were not happy with the way that that, that committee conducted its business. So this, this study, as far as I know, was done in the wake of those two things. And the mayor saying it's not in reaction to anything that's happened. I think that's a dismissal. I, I think one thing about John Mitchell, I think, as I've said 
overall he's been a good mayor. When he doesn't agree with you, he just dismisses uh, your point of view. And I don't think that's to his advantage. And I definitely don't think it's to the city's advantage. All right, why don't we take our final break of the hour? We'll be back in a few moments. And we are wrapping things up with Jack Spillane of New Bedford Light, who will actually be in for me next week on uh, Friday, the Looking last Friday of the month. So I'll be in Michigan, but I'll probably... No, I'm not going to be listening. Well, we'll keep the progressive fires burning. Well, I I will ask you though, since uh, since oh, we have I've a moment here to demonstrate that I'm not that progressive this morning. Yeah, you've been a little uh, out of character a little bit today. But um, what are you working on this week, Jack? Anything that you can share with us? I, I am hoping to do something on the um, Jensen Hughes report because I do think that that uh, I haven't read it yet. When I, when I read it, I want to see if the issue of some in the minority community. I don't feel that there is profiling among some offices. It's just not even dealt with because I don't know how you do that report without even looking into that issue. So, I mean, especially where those accusations were so strong in that report that you think you would want to have an outside source look at those and address those. Yeah, yeah. So despite the mayor's assertion that it was not done in reaction to anything, I think it was. And, you know... is. As it says, they're already putting a lot of these suggestions into play, the body cams, the increased pay, all that stuff is already being put into play. It'll be interesting to see if these other suggestions do get put into play and how quickly they do. Yes, yes. And it may be that we don't have a profiling um, problem in New Bedford. I, I find that hard to believe that we don't have any of it going on. It's an American city. This is America. This is New Bedford. But, you know, how is handled?